0: It's 1208 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. As we do on a pretty much daily basis now, we live stream the first couple segments of the program on Facebook Live. If you go to facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, you can watch... How We Make Radio Magic, and you can also uh, participate via Facebook Live. So we are now live streaming. Again, it's Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. If you want to check it out, the parlor game is always. Guess whether I dressed myself or my wife dressed me. Actually, today's an easy one because... I had to do some TV stuff earlier today, so my wife dresses me. Oh, Jeff, don't wear that. Here, for goodness sakes, you can't go on television looking like that. So today's kind of an easy one. We start off with a horrible story. The criminal complaint against Jonathan Copeland. Jonathan Copeland is the man who allegedly, now I'm going to put the word in allegedly because you are innocent until proven guilty So whenever I read the allegations in the criminal complaint, assume that I'm also using the word allegedly. But this is what the state says. Copeland is the man accused of murdering the Milwaukee police officer, Michael Mikalski, whose um, funeral is going to be tomorrow. More details about that in just a little bit. But this is the charging document. Now, by way of background, Copeland, 30 years old, is... What the chief of police described as one of the 10 percenters, one of the 10 percent of the pool of criminals who is responsible for the vast majority of crime. He is a career criminal, a lengthy juvenile record in and out of prison as an adult and accused while out on parole of dealing drugs see this is what kind of started this all he's on parole or what they call extended supervision in may of this year he is charged with dealing heroin he is a fugitive on those charges the police are looking for him all right here's the criminal complaint uh this is what they alleged again i have the charging document in my hand I will read you a portion of it to give you an idea of what the city, the state says happened. July 25th, 2018 Milwaukee police received information that the defendant that would be Copeland was in the area of the 2400 block of North 28th street in the city of Milwaukee. The defendant was wanted on an open arrest warrant for felony drug crimes, as well as on a warrant for absconding from the Department of Corrections supervision. Yeah, he's under supervision. How was that working out? Uh, detectives observed the defendant go into the residence at 2451 North 28th Street in the city of Milwaukee. Police officers, including Officer Michael Mikulski, went to that location to arrest him. So police see him going into this place, other police officers descend to, again, try to apprehend him. After the officers arrived at that location, they entered the residence to pursue him. The officers spent over 10 minutes searching the lower floor and formulating a plan to search the remainder of the house. The officers split up to perform the remaining search, and Officer Mikowski began to ascend the rear staircase to the upper floor. All right, so rear staircase going upstairs. Officer Makowski was attired in his official city of Milwaukee police uniform and was equipped with a body camera. The camera footage shows what is in front of the officer as he slowly ascends the rear staircase. The stairs turn as they go upward, such that what is at the top of the staircase is not in view from the bottom. Right? It's got a landing in the middle there. Um, Instead, as the officer ascends and turns, more and more of what is above him comes into view. The footage shows that as the officer rounds the bend in the staircase and inches his way forward, a pile of clothing comes into view on the landing above him. The officer continues to slowly ascend until there is a slight movement in the pile of clothing. The camera view suddenly blurs, consistent with the officer moving rapidly to attempt a retreat, at that instant gunshot at that instant gunshots ring out and the camera view goes black as the officer falls onto the camera another officer was descending the back staircase to the rear door when the body camera records multiple shots being fired from above so uh, again now Somebody has not only shot the one officer, but they're shooting at another one. The officer turns. His camera then depicts Officer Mikowski laying motionless on the stairs to the upper floor. The investigation, I'll paraphrase the next part, um, reveals that he was shot in the head. Um, and they also, again, the, the the pattern indicates he was shot in the head from behind. All right. During the incident, uh, two other officers were outside the residence in the rear one of those officers heard the shots from inside. He then saw a window screen above him get pushed out of a window. He saw the defendant, this would be Copeland, lean out from inside the window, point a gun at one of the officers, and shoot at the officer. The officer outside returned fire, who um, then pulled his body back into the house The officer saw a gun get thrown out of the window onto the rear lawn. The defendant was heard yelling that his hands were up and not to shoot him. The firearm that the defendant threw out the window was recovered and found to be a .45 caliber high-point semi-automatic pistol. The gun was in a locked back position and the magazine was empty. Let me translate what happened. He executes the one police officer, fires at other police officers, runs out of ammunition, and then and only then gives himself up. Um, again, based on the physical evidence, the locked upper door, pile of clothes, the body camera footage, they believe that the defendant ran up the stairs to avoid police, became trapped on the landing because police were below him and an upper door was locked, silently hid for over 10 minutes on the landing, and ambushed and shot Officer Mikowski as the officer began to close in. And again, they, they believe he shot him from behind. Um, shortly after the shooting, while the defendant was being transported by arresting officers, he said to another detective, words to the effect of, they got me for murder, I shot him. In addition, while being transported to the hospital by police officers who were wearing guns on their waists, the defendant spontaneously told one of the officers, I will take it off your waist and put one in the back of your head, too. This, this is the man who is now charged with first-degree intentional homicide in connection with this, this shooting. And uh, as you heard during the news, they just set bail in the amount of $1.5 million, which, again, it, does anybody think that he, he should ever be out on the street? But that's another story as well. This is about as horrible, in my opinion, and and brutal. This was essentially an execution. This was somebody hiding in a pile of clothes waits till the officer is unsuspecting and is not looking and then executes the police officer. He then attempts to shoot and kill other police officers and surrenders only after he's out of ammunition. At that point in time, hands go up. Oh, oh, you've got me. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, we are live streaming, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Here is my question, and it is a sincere one. In Wisconsin, we do not have the death penalty for any sort of crime. For the longest time, it is no secret. I think that is a mistake. I have been an advocate of the death penalty for... Situations where the behavior is so heinous, so egregious that I believe it to be appropriate. This, to me, is a case which screams out for the death penalty. This officer was merely doing his job and he was executed by a career criminal who probably shouldn't have been out on the streets, but that's not either the issue as well. Here you have somebody who was determined to murder a police officer in cold blood and was intent on killing other police officers as well, to the point when he's being transported to the hospital. He even talks about how he would love to try to grab one of their guns and shoot them as well. Explain to me what we accomplish by not having the death penalty for people like Jonathan Copeland, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is a case that screams out for the death penalty, and I think it is a tragedy that in the state of Wisconsin, we do not have that for people like this, 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Again, if you want to participate via Facebook, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, we are live streaming. I think this is a case that cries out for the death penalty. Am I wrong? 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You knew that this was a, a bad, the, the, this, the murder of the police officer, you knew it was bad. But until you actually see it in black and white, the allegations of what this Jonathan Copeland, a career criminal, what he did, how he apparently hid under a pile of clothes, waiting for the Milwaukee police officer to pass him, shot him in the back of the head, then tried to kill other Milwaukee police officers before surrendering after he was out of ammunition. I mean, seriously, is this not a case that screams out for the death penalty? And my answer would be, yeah. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Patty in Greenfield. Patty, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon, Jeff. You know, this is absolutely disgusting. First of all, I want to say seriously, my heart goes out to their family and friends and everyone for this dear man that lost his life, that's doing what he's doing. And we don't, the law enforcement people, whether they're, you know, the paramedics, the firefighters, the police officers, they do not get the just that they've deserved. And I also want to throw teachers into that also, because we're putting so much money into our jails. And taking care of these i 'm not going to say any bad word on the radio but right these pieces of
0: whatever to be right. I mean, waste no of name. waste of space, and that yeah, Jonathan Copeland was air. a career criminal who you know had did, essentially had been committing crimes since he was a juvenile, escalating in severity, we kept putting him back out on the street, and now a police officer is dead that 's just yeah, what happened
1: when's the next one going to happen you know when 's the next one going to happen they have to do something and we, whoever's going to be, you know, whether the sheriff and the police chief, I know we all have band together and we need to do something to change this. We have to, you know, um, I used to work at Frederick Hospital and they used to all come there to get taken care of, you know, we give them their medicine, we give them their meals, we have to make sure that they're taken care of. Look at these families, they're going home without a loved one. So something has to be on the books. We need to take that money that we're taking care of these thugs. And we need I, to put it to our law enforcement and our teachers.
0: Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. No, I mean, it, it, it is. It, it's, And what is so very frustrating about this is, again, you know, I, I think if, if you go back, one of the questions you raise is, you know, why was this guy back out on the street? It was apparent he is what the police chief correctly describes at, as the 10 percenter. But But most of those people... Most of even those ten percenters have some line in the sand. They they have some degree of decency that you're you're not going to murder a police officer or anyone else in cold blood. And this is again, it is precisely what happened. So what do you do in a situation like this? We sit and we say, all right. Well, now we're going to support him. He's thirty years old. So I mean, what what is his lifespan? Thirty, forty, fifty years? You know, who who knows? Obviously, this is a situation where if he is convicted, you know, it's going to be life in prison without the, pop, the possibility of parole, but that doesn't change a single thing. I think that there is a degree of punishment that you need to start handing out. 414-799-1620, Bob in Menominee Falls. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hi, Jeff. I agree with you that Wisconsin needs the penalty. Um I've I served some time in the Wisconsin prison system, and I'm not proud of it, but what the sad thing is, where a taxpayer is gonna to have to pay for this guy for the rest of his life over on MAP when yet he's gonna to go to prison, he's gonna have visits from his family, contact visits, that's have that, have where he can post them and sit there and joke around, make contact with people, have them send them money, and mm-hmm. it's a big it's a big comedy show. I've seen it there firsthand. Right and, and that's and, what's and,
0: gonna happen. Right, and, and e- exactly. And and it's going to be at the taxpayer expense. And here's somebody exactly. who made this conscious decision, I I don't I don't argue for the death penalty in, in every case, but this is one you want to talk about extenuating circumstances. There There's nothing you can say in justification or defense for this guy in, in this type of behavior. And I, I mean, it's just I understand this is a police officer who died. So perhaps, you know, that gets more attention. But people who engage in this kind of behavior, I, I'm sorry, the death penalty, I think, right. is appropriate. Yeah, so like
3: I said he's going to go there and he's going to live basically a lifestyle he's used to, and it's not going to bother him. Well, I think that. It's a like social gathering for
0: the guys. Well, you know, thanks to call. You know, it's interesting that you make that point because I think it, it is completely alien to most people in society. But let me go back to my, my days as a federal prosecutor. And it was not unusual I used to chase big time drug dealers. And it was not unusual that a number of the people we would prosecute, especially towards the latter stages, were members of, of street gangs who were running large amounts of cocaine or crack cocaine or whatever. And, and you kind of interact with these guys. And I know this sounds bizarre, but prison wasn't a deterrent. Prison and, and look, for most people, you sit there and you say, Oh, you're going to go to prison or something. It's just, it's a frightening prospect for, for many people that I dealt with, especially some of the people that, that, that came out of the street gangs and stuff. They prison was just. Well, it, it wasn't bad. They, they had their regimented life, and you had your three meals a day. Now there were some drawbacks because you didn't have prison, but it was just—it was just kind of a lifestyle change. It did not bother them at all. It was not a deterrent, and I know that sounds strange. Believe me, I get it. But that's what the reality is. But see, I see, I—I just think the death penalty has an appropriate role when it comes to degrees of punishment. And in this particular case, I, I admit I knew this was bad, like I said a little while ago, but actually reading in black and white what it is that Copeland is allowed is alleged to have done, how he did it, his behavior before the murder of the police officer, his behavior after the murder of the police officer and the complete and total lack of remorse. My God, he's murdered a police officer and he's in a squad car being taken to the hospital. And he's saying, hey, if I could grab your gun to other officers, I'd shoot you, too. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Explain to me why we're going to be paying for this guy to sit around and watch TV and work out and visit his family and friends for the next 40 years. I don't get it. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is a Wisconsin State Fair favorite, and we're serving it up one day early. Cream puff Apalooza returns. I will check in with Gene Miller with an update from the State Fair parking lot, 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. But it's not just 621. It is 540, 550, 620, 640. That is because tomorrow morning. At 6 a.m., I will be in the State Fair parking lot, the one that's next to the freeway. It runs in front of the the Pettit Ice Center. I will be there with my friend and colleague, Karen D'Alessandro, from KTI Country. Starting at 6 o'clock, we have 300 six-packs of cream puffs to give away. We will give one per automobile until they are gone. We start at 6 o'clock the line starts forming earlier. <laughs> Just uh, I, I, my plan is to get there around like five thirty or so. And whenever I get there at five thirty, there's already a number of cars that are in line. So don't be shut out. We've got three hundred six packs to give away. Once they are gone, they are gone. But I will personally give. what well, typically, what they do is they divide it ultimately into two lines. So I'll I will personally get a chance to meet uh, at least you know half of you, and I'll uh, give you a six pack of cream puffs. It's always a lot of fun. State Fair, you cannot buy them. Sometimes people will come by and they'll say, can we buy them? You can't buy them tomorrow. State Fair starts on Thursday. My program is going to be originating from our State Fair broadcast facility on Thursday. But um you can buy them then. But tomorrow, the only way you can get them, as far as I know, is for free from Karen and I starting at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Be sure to check it out. It's Cream Puff-a-Palooza. I said to my wife, you should come out and see this. And she said, well, that sounds like fun. And I said, well, we, we probably have to be up like about four or four thirty in the morning. Whether or not she thinks it's that much fun, we will see. But I will be there regardless. All right. The Milwaukee Bucks and the, you have the Bucks Arena, which is you know getting ready to open. I was a proponent of the taxpayers spending two hundred and fifty million dollars to, to help build the facility. Now, why was I a proponent of that? Isn't this corporate welfare? You've got billionaire owners and multimillionaire players. You know, what's going on? I thought it was good for the city. I think having the Bucks in town is good for the city. But I, I will tell you, one of the things that sold me on the idea of the public expenditure for the new Bucks arena was the idea that the Bucks were going to, they were committed to building essentially an entertainment district downtown, to redeveloping an area that badly, badly, badly needs redevelopment. Now, I will tell you why I think the jury is still out on this, because you have all sorts of businesses, like restaurants, etc., that are on thir- Old World 3rd Street, for example, in the vicinity of the Bradley Center. If, if as a result of this new entertainment district, all you do is you move people from the existing businesses to the new ones and all these places on Old World 3rd Street for example a lot of great restaurants bars etc if they go under because you've simply just moved people around well then i think it might be fair to say the entertainment district is a failure but i i don't i'm hoping that doesn't happen i'm hoping what happens is this entertainment district is a leader in a revitalization effort for that area of downtown. So the people that still, you know, love to to go to the places on Third Street, for example, um, they also, more people come in. I don't accept that it's a zero-sum game. So I'm hoping that that's what happens. We'll know in five or ten years whether that is successful or not. So you're going to have this entertainment center to the south, I guess, of the new Bucks Arena. And they've already got tenants that are coming in there. And it looks like it's going to be, candidly, a lot of fun. Well, the Milwaukee Bucks have decided, and they've made the announcement today, that they are going to make the entire area non-smoking. Now, typically, what happens at these facilities is that, they're, they're they're generally non-smoking. Think about Miller Park. Miller Park is, as a general rule, it is non-smoking. But there's a couple of of areas they. Um You you can you can get penned off. You they corral you out. If you want to go out, there's a couple areas where you can go and you can have a a cigarette. I I only know that because I I have seen them. But you can smoke in the parking lot, right, Gru? You can smoke in the parking lot, Miller Park. Sure, you you can you can do that. Same thing is true at Lambeau Field. There's a couple areas that are non-smoking, but in in general, you, you you can smoke at Lambeau Field. That's typically the way this thing is handled. They make it difficult for you, but they don't ban it. I think. And I think we talked about this before. I think, for example, the amphitheater at Summerfest. I, I, as I believe, I don't think that's non-smoking either. You know, one of these type of outdoor venues could be wrong. Maybe they changed that, but I don't think I'm wrong. So, but what the Bucks have done is the Bucks have said, all right, we're not going to make it a non-smoking area with a designated spot where you can smoke. We're going to make the Pfizer forum and we're going to make the entire entertainment district. Non-smoking. Here's the way the Business Journal reports it. The Milwaukee Bucks designate, are designating as non-smoking not only the new Fiserv Forum, but also the entire 30-acre arena district. The Bucks have posted signs on the arena building and signs adjacent to the building announcing this is a non-smoking neighborhood. A similar message appears on signs in the new arena parking structure and in their sports science center. The Bucks president said, today, said yesterday... That, um, his organization wants to create a healthy neighborhood and community. He says we're going way beyond what the city and the state require by not allowing smoking in the street and the public plaza and the parking structure and the sports science center. We, but we made it, uh, we felt it made sense to umbrella the entire neighborhood. All right. 414-799-1620, Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. So they say the entire area is going to be non-smoking. One of the obvious questions is, well, how are you going to enforce that? And they said, well, first of all, we're going to try to over-communicate. We're going to tell everybody you can't smoke. But then, you know, we're we're going to have security people that are that are there and are going to say, no, you you can't. Now, I mean, ultimately. I think what they hope happens is that you know somebody lights up a cigarette and the security person comes over and says that's not allowed. I think it's going to be a surprise to some people, and perhaps there's a learning curve, because generally speaking, I think people are used to smoking cigarettes outside, but the Bucks have said the entire area is going to be non-smoking. Are they going too far? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you glad that they are doing this? Are they shooting themselves in the foot? Are they going to lose business? Is this an overreaction, a politically correct move? Is it a problem if somebody wants to have a cigarette in an outdoor area? Should they accommodate smokers like a number of the other facilities do? Are they going too far, or are you glad to hear this is what they're doing? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1243. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1246. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, text line, phone lines, everything exploding here. Ray on the south side says, I don't know how the Bucks can do that since the place was built with taxpayer money and they are discriminating against smokers. Mike in Waukesha says smokers are a slim minority now. This can only help serve to promote the area to families. I'm all for smokers rights. But if you want to go to a Bucks game, bring a nicotine patch. Just like when you go on planes. Um, another text, if they're trying to make a healthy environment, then they'll need to ban alcohol ban alcohol and fatty foods too. Steve says, I'll be the first down there to have a cigarette. What are they gonna do to me? All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, Mark in New Berlin. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon.
2: Oh my god, I'm a non smoker, so something inside me does like this, mm-hmm. but it is totally ludicrous. Who died in me, Peter Fagan King of Milwaukee? I mean, these, the Bucks is not are, is not a successful franchise. The Packers do not do this. When people drink they smoke, it it's it's just common sense I and mean, these Bucks are just, this Bucks organization now with these billionaire owners with the B are just they they think they own the city.
0: Well, I mean their their idea is we are trying to create a positive, healthy environment. We've got this thirty acres. We don't want people's good time spoiled by you know somebody on the square sitting there and having a cigarette
2: put their energy towards a safe environment first you know if you if you enjoy a cigarette who the heck cares my heart surgeon that operated on me smokes you know that's, that's just life
0: well, you know I, mean? I mean, thanks. No, it, I mean, thanks to call. No, I mean, it, it. It. It is interesting. Now, again, I'm. I'm going to take some calls before I tell you where I come down on this. Um, but I mean, my perspective is I. I am a. I am a non-smoker. I. I don't smoke. Um, I, I used to have cigars years and years ago. I haven't had a cigar in just ages, and I don't intend to to go back. Um, but at the same time. All right. I mean, for for if an individual business decides we want to be, you know, now the law says you have to be non smoking. That's fine. But typically, you at least accommodate smokers to an extent. The Bucks say we're not going to make that accommodation. How do you feel, Suzanne in Whitefish Bay? Suzanne, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
4: Hi. Um, I'm in favor of this um, decision. I think it's a bold move, and it's surprising. But um, I remember being surprised when they said no smoking in restaurants or no smoking in bars. And, and I think it's a direction that we now becoming a more health conscious society, we are becoming that type of society. We care about our health and we care about supporting it. I, I think it's a brave move and I think it's a smart move and I wouldn't mind if more areas did adopt that sort of position. From a business
0: perspective, let me ask you this. From a business perspective, is it a smart move? Because you do have a, a certain segment of of the population who are, are smokers. And I think smokers understand nowadays you can't smoke in the bar, but I think people are used to being able to go outside or go into designated areas like at Miller Park or at, at Lambeau Field or whatever. Do you risk alienating a part of your fan base by doing this?
4: I'm not really concerned about alienating a fan base in the same way that people who were running bars or restaurants, people didn't stop going to the bars. They didn't stop going to the restaurants when this happened. It's, for a business move, um, I think it's a bold move, and I think it's a smart move, and I think it's a trend that I hope will persist and, and grow. Because I again also am a non-smoker. I think it's a filthy habit. Right. If not, you know, people smoke, they drop their butts, and I walk mm-hmm. past them, and I think, you know,
5: right. No, okay, got I, it. No,
4: thanks. Actually, for, no. when I'm outside, when I'm outside of um, Mayfair Mall, I walk through that. Uh, I have to walk through their door, and I mean, I smell
0: it. Right. right. Well, right. no, thanks. You're right. I mean, Mayfair Mall is a classic example. You have. You have that area that's outside a couple of the entrances. I'm thinking of the one um around the – I'll talk about on the back on like kind of like the east side. I mean, and, and lots of people go and hang out, and, and they smoke outside there. So if you are a non-smoker, I understand that many people are appalled by people who do smoke. And yet at the same time, there are people who, who smoke who are going to say – Really, you're, if, if I'm in a public area, it's 30 acres, I'm in a public area, I'm outside, you're really going to tell me that I shouldn't be able to have a cigarette? Are they going too far? Four one four Let's talk to Dave in Brookfield. Dave, good afternoon.
2: Well, I'm not sure I'd alienate uh, part of my fan base so directly. But I think it's really ironic, especially following up on the last caller, what are all these potheads going to do at the concert who want to smoke all the time? I, all the people that want to legalize marijuana, where are they going to be able to smoke it? Uh,
0: well, you know, that that's interesting. And actually, the Business Journal article about this, so they're talking about P- Peter Fagan. This is how they write it. When asked how the Bucks will police smoking during arena shows featuring acts where a high percentage of fans typically smoke marijuana, Fagan said... You certainly aren't going to prohibit certain bands from playing. <laughs> I don't know what that means. What that to be <laughs> right, yeah. I don't, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that, right, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna look the other way to all the dopers in the audience, but we're, we're not gonna allow some guy to have a cigarette outside a bar? <laughs> that's, that, that's a fair question. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, it was, I, I just saw that and I don't, I didn't exactly know what, what that meant. Um, other than it would seem to me that if you're going to enforce this, you, you've got to in- enforce it. But what, you know, what do you do about the stoner type of shows? And I, I can actually understand that somebody's having a cigarette going, well, this is, this is still legal. You mean to tell me I can't go outside of a bar and I can't walk out into the public space and, and have a cigarette? And yet if I go to the show, I can smoke all the dope that I want. Huh. Just ask. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, um, Amy in Waukesha. Amy, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
5: I think uh, I have to agree with the previous caller with regarding the fact it is a bulls move. I am a former smoker and since I haven't smoked in decades, it is I'm highly allergic to the to the odor. Right. And it is very diff even somebody's clothes can can uh, ignite a, a, a coughing fit, my eyes watering. I understand what the fellow's saying about the concerts and perhaps you know right. marijuana smokers may be offended or what not uh, marijuana smokers offended cigarette smokers offended okay if it's a no smoking it's no smoking and uh, I think it's a great move I think we should if the only cigarettes are the only product on the market where 50 percent of the time it causes death and it's still legal
0: do you think we so, should outlaw well that's it's interesting you say because that that's what I was going to ask you do you think we should outlaw tobacco
5: absolutely well I have to say, I, I think tobacco is a terrible, terrible product, and when children are walking along and they see people gathered in a group, and they always do, smoking cigarettes together, mm-hmm. what is that, what message is that? And, um, and it's with anything that's a bad
0: behavior... Okay, I so my question that. is, do you think we should outlaw tobacco? I think we should. Okay, all right, thanks. I know that, that was a fair question. Fair I mean... That, that, see, the, the issue I have, the problem I have with this is that it is, in fact, a, a legal product. All right. We continue the conversation in just a moment. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Grew, who's producing the show today and always, the trading deadline, the non waiver trading deadline is coming up in two hours. Brewers have kind of turned it around after limping into the All-Star break. They're 7-3 and in their last 10 games. They're um, off to a great start on this road trip. They won last night in Los Angeles, so they're 4-1 and on a very, very difficult road trip. Worst they can do if they lose the next three games, they're still five hundred on a West Coast swing. They've made a couple big additions. They traded for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Mike Moustakis, the third baseman, power hitter. They lose him at the end of the year. He's what they call a rental because he's, he's going to be a free agent next year. And I don't think the Brewers intend to resign him. Um, in addition, they picked up a pitcher from the Chicago White Sox. So somebody else in the bullpen. So now in the next two hours, there's all this speculation. Do you try to bring in a starting pitcher? I think everybody, you can't have enough pitching. The problem, of course, is. For the, the pitchers that are out there, there, there's not that many that are great, that that are left, and the ones that, that might be that you could control for a couple years, that they want some of the top two or three of the Brewers' prospects. So, Grew, if you're David Stearns, do you make a move? I mean, do you get rid of a, a couple of their young pitching prospects, like Peralta, who pitched yesterday, or Corbin Burns? No, you don't, me neither. Me neither. I mean, it, it, it's not like there's a CC Sabathia out, you know, you 2008, Doug Melvin goes and he gets CC Sabathia a month before the trading deadline, and CC Sabathia puts the team on his back and gets him into the playoffs. 2011, you you go and you get Zach Renke, and you know, and he does that. There, there's not a CC Sabathia, there's not a Zach Renke that, that's out there. there. There's just not. I'm not sure anybody that's out there is noticeably better than what they have. And if you expect the Brewers to give up. You know, one of the two, one or two of their, you know, top prospects, including two of their pitchers that are already on the major league roster who are going to be around for five years or the second baseman of the future who's one of arguably perhaps going to be one of the best hitters in the game. You you can't do that. Now, if you can make a trade, and I think what the Brewers have done so far is that they've gotten some pieces without giving up players. That were a huge part of their future. You know, they, they sent Brett Phillips to Kansas City, and everybody likes Brett Phillips. I, I had a chance to interview him, I think, two years ago. And, um, great, you know, great, great guy. But he was blocked. He's not going to play. They don't have space in the outfield, so he he was blocked. That that was there. So I mean, okay, you you hate to give up a good player like that, but some of the the premier players, I, I, candidly, if if it's going to take, there's not a CC Sabathia, there's not a, a Zach Ranke um, and I think, you know, you've got to be really careful. The idea of giving up, you know, somebody that can be a huge difference maker in the future for somebody who might come in and pitch five or six times this year and, and may be good or may not be. I, I think you just frankly, I don't think you do it. So and David Stearns is a really smart guy and I don't think he does it as well. All right. Here is my question. This, it, it is, it is politics. There, there's no question about it. And it's kind of the silly season. But my question is, is this a cheap shot or not? All right. In two weeks, the primary election, by the way, is two weeks from today. Milwaukee County voters and I no longer live. I, I live most of my life in Milwaukee County. I do not live in Milwaukee County anymore. So I don't get the vote, but. The Democratic primary voters, the people who vote in the Democratic primary in Milwaukee County, and the election is two weeks from today. By the way, just let me remind people about how the open primary system in Wisconsin works. You do not have to, in advance, in in some states... You have to declare, you have to register as a Republican or you have to register a- as a Democrat. And based on your registration, that determines whether you vote in the Republican primary or whether you vote in the Democratic primary. In Wisconsin, we have an open primary. You can vote in whichever primary you choose, but you can't bounce back and forth. So for example, if you wanted to vote in the Republican primary, you lived in Milwaukee County, and you wanted to vote in the Republican primary between uh, Kevin Nicholson and Leah Vukmir. You could do that, but then you couldn't vote in the Democratic primary for Milwaukee County Sheriff. You can only either you can vote in either one that you choose, but you can only vote in in one. You can't bounce back and forth. So, in Milwaukee County, David Clark, who was of course an object of controversy for a long time, Sheriff Clark has resigned. He's now former Sheriff Clark. There is a a three-way contest to replace him. There's no registered Republican on the ballot, so for all intents and purposes, whoever wins the Democratic primary in two weeks is going to win the election. And and the two principal candidates are um, Richard Schmidt. He was on the program a while back. He's a career law enforcement guy he's been with the sheriff's department for 32 years he is david clark was david clark's number 2 guy but he and I, i'm i don't get to vote in this uh richard schmidt is is a career law enforcement guy He's the guy that that made kind of the trains run. He was not the guy that was out there when Sheriff Clark was doing the stuff that he was doing. He was the guy that was responsible for keeping the day-to-day operations of the sheriff's department going. And since he took over as the acting sheriff, what, about a year ago or so, I mean, I think he's done a, a pretty good job of, of doing what we expect the sheriff to do, which is administering, you know, running the jail, running the freeways, you know, providing that degree of law enforcement. He certainly hasn't been a grandstander, all right? Which is what you would expect from somebody who's been in law enforcement for 32 years. He has the endorsement of Chris Abley. Uh, the other principal candidates who's running is a guy named Arnell Lucas, who was with the Milwaukee Police Department for a number of years. Left a long time ago and went with, uh, Bud Selig, and was the security person for major league baseball. Well, now he's stepped down from that and, and now he wants to be the sheriff. He has, Lucas has the endorsement and support of a lot of what I would describe as the democratic establishment. Um, he, he's got, John Chisholm has endorsed him. I think Tom Barrett has endorsed him. He's got a, a lot of that type of support. Some of the more traditional liberals are siding up on uh, and supporting him. I don't know how this is race is going to turn out, but here's what happened recently. Uh, Richard Schmidt is he's got a degree in theology. He's he's um he he's a minister, and it, you know, and he's very very active in in his churches. Well, here's here's the story, and I want to ask you whether or not you think this is a legitimate argument. The headline, this is the journal Sentinel. The headline is Critics Slam Sheriff Richard Schmidt for podcast comments on victims of domestic violence. All right here here's now this is a it is a challenge being raised by supporters of Vernell Lucas. A lot of the. Kind of the left wing of Milwaukee politics is supporting Ornell Lucas. Here's what they say. In an October 6th, 2017 podcast with Brookside Baptist Church pastor Greg Hoffman, Schmidt can be heard paraphrasing the pastor's advice regarding a marriage in conflict where physical violence might have taken place. So, okay, they're talking about a marriage. It's on the verge of breaking down and there might have been um, there might have been physical violence what you're saying this is what Sheriff Schmidt says what you're saying is get off God's throne submit yourself to that person and love that person so in other words if we're Christian and we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and we do what you said get off that prideful ladder God can bless that marriage and restore those relationships All right, that that, that's what he says. Now, critics, and these are people who support his opponent, are, are pouncing on that and saying, this guy, this is an endorsement essentially of domestic violence. In other words, what he's saying is, you know, if you've been a victim of domestic violence, you should just submit. You know, don't do anything about it. That's kind of the implication. Here's what some people say. You have a woman who's the co-chair of Wisconsin, of the Women's March Wisconsin says, Milwaukee County needs a sheriff who will take tangible steps to stop domestic violence. And then the implication is that's not Richard Schmidt. Um, Schmidt said Monday he would not advise women to stay in a home where they are victims of violence. There's no reason for them to stay at home at that point. I would never counsel anybody to stay in a violent situation. After a domestic violence victim gets out of a residence safely, then reconciliation can take place if both individuals are willing to work it out. So that's that's what he says. I, I wasn't encouraging people to stay there and end up getting beaten up, but I'm saying that, all right, there might be a hope and a way to save some some marriages, you know, and that's, I think, it's probably consistent with, you know, uh, I think his, his theological upbringing. All right. So this, of course, has created a huge series of discussions. Again, you've got, um, let's see, Voces de la Frontera, that's the folks who push for the illegal aliens, Voces de Frontera Action Director Christine Newman Ortiz says, it is cruel to advise someone for religious reasons to accept violence in a relationship. Huh. And the comments go on and on. Schmidt says, they're trying to politicize my religious beliefs. Okay, 414 is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Is this a fair criticism? Is the acting sheriff of Milwaukee County really soft when it comes to domestic violence? Do you believe that he is seriously encouraging women to stay in abusive relationships and, I guess, what, get get beaten up instead of trying to, I don't know, get out of those? 414-799-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I will tell you, I, I don't interpret what he's saying to be that in in any way shape or form and I don't think there's anything you've seen in this guy's career and I don't care who gets elected Milwaukee County Sheriff at this point in time I'm not carrying water for him but I think this is a cheap shot he clearly appreciates the sanctity of marriage and the way I interpret his remarks is he's trying to say look you know I I think you know it's in the interest of, of people to try to see if you can work things out I'm not saying to women stay there and get beaten up or anything else. I'm just saying that sometimes people can work out if you embrace and then he goes back to, you know, his religious background. I don't, I don't know. Is this, is this an endorsement of domestic violence? Is he soft on domestic violence? 414-799-1620 or is this a cheap political shot? We discuss next. 414-799-1620. What do you think? 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 123 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I, I I just think this sort of last minute, the primary election is two weeks from today, that this criticism of, of Sheriff Richard Schmidt, who is a career law enforcement guy. Oh, he's soft on domestic violence. I, I think it's a cheap shot. I think it is extremely unfair. And I think some of the people that are throwing this around should be ashamed of themselves. All right he, he's he's, of course, trained in divinity. he's got a degree, and he's talking in a podcast to a pastor from Brookside Baptist Church, and they're they're really they're talking about can marriages be saved when there's been a domestic rift, including perhaps some domestic violence? And he says, what you're saying, he's paraphrasing the pastor's remarks, what you're saying is, get off of God's throne." Submit yourself to that person and the love of that person. So in other words, if we're Christian and we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and we do what you said, get off the prideful ladder, God can bless the marriage and restore those relationships. Now, I don't know that that's directed necessarily to the, to the person who's being abused. Could be directed to the abuser. Stop. You know, love the person you're with. I don't take this as an endorsement of domestic violence. And I don't think reasonable people should. And if you want to say, no, we want to vote for, you know, our guy, Ornell Lucas, over Dick Schmidt. That's fine. But really, accusing him of being uh, somebody who supports domestic violence? Jim in West Dallas. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hi. Um, yeah, if you consider the source of those comments, uh, that woman, she's a political hack. And uh, if you look at Rick Schmidt's record, um, you know, he's very pro- advancement of women and the protection and safety of women um her comments are so far fetched it really upset me
0: um yeah again it's just it's it is a cheap shot i think you know taken way out of context um without any sort of without any sort of reference i mean look what he's saying is if what he's saying is marriages can be saved and there's been bad stuff that happens. But I think if the parties are willing to give themselves over to God and commit themselves to a loving relationship, maybe the marriage can be saved. That's not saying, gee, if you know you're in an abusive relationship, you you have to stay in there or you shouldn't seek help or anything. That's clearly not what this man is saying. And I guess I think the shame on the people who are trying to put words in his mouth well, mouth in this fashion in order to right. win an election.
2: I agree. And and what uh, that woman should do is walk a mile in its shoes, and her opinion would change. She'd be voting for him.
0: Yeah, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. And again, I I can't vote in this primary, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm not voting in the Milwaukee County Democratic primary for sheriff. And, and whoever gets elected gets elected. I, I do say this. Richard Schmidt strikes me as a guy who's been a career law enforcement officer who wants to complete his career as the Milwaukee County Sheriff, I don't think he has aspirations above and beyond that. I'm not sure that that necessarily applies to the other guy, but it doesn't matter. But the idea that you're going to suggest that the man who's currently the acting sheriff, after 32 years in law enforcement, is soft on domestic violence, that's just, it's its silly and it's unfair And, for example, Milwaukee County needs a sheriff who will take tangible steps to stop domestic violence. Oh, really? I I mean, yes, and you're implying that the current sheriff isn't. I mean, seriously, at some point in time, again, taking some of these issues and trying to manipulate them trivializes the very significance of, of the issue. And for people who are going to trivialize and try to politicize issues as important as domestic violence, it's their motives that I think need to be questioned. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 140, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ and KTI Country, our sister station. We are fired up to share the greatest dessert in Wisconsin. Karen D'Alessandro from KTI Country and yours truly. We will be at State Fair tomorrow, handing out six packs of those famous cream puffs to the first 300 cars lined up in the Wisconsin State Fair parking lot tomorrow the, gift, the giveaway starts at 6 a.m. You can line up before that. We have 306-packs to give out. Once they are gone, they are gone. It is Cream puff Apalooza 2018. Stop by for your chance to win. It's always a lot of fun. I, I didn't get a chance to do this last year because I was doing the morning show, but uh, now I get a chance to be out there again. It's always a lot of fun. We'll be out there. Dark and early, saying hi to all the people who line up. And when you say, what state fair parking lot are we in? We're in the one off of 84th street that, that runs in front of the at uh, the Pettit Ice Center. Um, so it runs parallel to I 94. That, that's where we'll be. You cannot miss it. There'll be lots of cars lined up. First 300 cars get a six pack of cream puffs. Either myself or Karen will be hand delivering them to you. All right. I, I have been reading and following with interest. Let's talk national for a minute. The the ongoing conflict between President Trump and pretty much it seems like everybody at one point in time or another. President Trump has decided for reasons that pass understanding to take on the Koch brothers who have been some free market conservatives who've been largely responsible for financing a lot of Republican campaigns and candidates over the year. Well President Trump is he's decided to to take on the, the Koch brothers because they have been critical of his his trade policy. So he's picking, you know, that fight. He's also decided to pick a fight with congressional Republicans. Now let's review the bidding on this the government the government again is is on the the verge of running out of of money. Um, right now, you have a number of federal agencies that need continuing funding by september thirtieth and so I, I think the the idea and what paul ryan in the House and what Mitch McConnell and the Senate, what what they want to do is they just, they, they don't want to have a battle over a government shutdown a month and a half before a, a, a midterm election. Already, there, there's enough challenges to, you know, Republican majorities just based on a lot of public angst towards president Trump and some of the decisions that are out there, Republicans don't want to pick another fight. And they figure that if, if there is a shutdown, if the government has to, and again, government shutdowns are, I always put that in quotation marks because the truth is, you know, essential services get done anyhow. And what happens is it ends up being a huge taxpayer waste of money because even if you lay off temporarily federal employees, you inconvenience them because they might not get a paycheck right away. But every government shutdown that there has been, to my knowledge, you've given people back pay. So you're not accomplishing anything. You're just essentially saying to some of the non-essential federal workers, here, stay at home. You know, stay, stay at home and, you know, sit it out for a week or two. And then you're going to get an extra paid vacation. Plus you inconvenience. Tourists who are coming to Washington, D.C. and want to go to this attraction or that attraction. It's just it never works out well. And in the case of the party in power, in this case would be Republicans, shutting down the government is going to not look good for them going into the election. And candidly, like I say, given everything that else is going on, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and a whole bunch of the other Republicans, they just don't want to pick this fight at this time of the election cycle. All right, so in Wade's President Trump, here's the story in the Washington Post. President Trump is threatening chaos to win concessions from Congress on his immigration demands, disrupting Republican leaders' carefully scripted plan to avoid a politically disastrous government shutdown just weeks before the midterm elections. McConnell and Ryan have laid out a strategy to fund more than half of the federal agencies by September 30th, punting some of the more contentious fights, such as the president's long sought-after funding for a U.S. border wall until after the elections. But now the president is sending conflicting messages. If we don't get border security after many many years of talk within the United States, I would have no problem doing a showdown, Hmm, doing a shutdown. This apparently comes a week after Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell briefed President Trump on their strategy to fund the government in piecemeal installments before the September deadline. So now the president is threatening, hey, I want this wall built. If you don't give me the dough, I'm I'm not going to sign this stuff, and we'll go ahead and shut down the government. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this would be crazy. I think it would be politically disastrous for Republicans in the House and the Senate to pick this particular fight six weeks before the midterm elections. I think it would be politically disastrous for them to do that. Also, while I think everybody appreciates border security, there are a lot of conservatives, a lot of Republicans, by the way, my hand is up in the air now, who question Whether building a physical wall is the right way to spend money. So let's throw up the line. 414-799-1620. I think President Trump is picking a fight that even, that first of all, he can't win. And secondly, even if he were to win, he would end up, at least he'd end up losing. He'd be driving the Republican party over a cliff. 414-799-1620. Is it worth shutting down the government? not funding federal agencies, all to try to get money to build a border wall. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. My answer is, is no. 149 Jeff Wagner WTMJ it's a Wisconsin State Fair favorite we're serving it up one day early Cream Puffapalooza returns I'll check in with Gene Miller with an update from the State Fair parking lot that's at 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's morning news if you don't know Cream Puffapalooza starting at 6 a.m. tomorrow I'm going to be out at State Fair in front of the Pettit Ice Center that parking lot that kind of runs parallel to the uh, I-94 first 300 cars in line Either Karen or myself will give you a six-pack of cream puffs for free. Don't need a coupon. Don't need an email. All you need to show, is to show up. Thank you would be nice. You know, hi, Jeff, and thank you would be nice. But that's, you know, we, we will be all set. Uh, and it starts at 6 a.m. We start the giveaway at 6 a.m. Some people line up a little bit earlier. All right. President Trump is now threatening to shut down the government unless he gets money for his border wall. That, of course, it's that's not the strategy that apparently people agreed to about a week ago. Um, and candidly, I think this would be political suicide to do this six weeks before what is already going to be a very difficult election for Republicans. What do you think? Dennis and Racine. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Uh,
2: first, uh, thanks for having me on a program, yes, sir. Jeff. But, uh, first, uh, first thing is uh, he is doing it, I think, as a ploy. It's to fire up the Trumpers out there that voted for him because of this uh, immigration thing. is so out of hand right now. Uh, I'm not saying it'd be a good idea to shut the government down, but even if he doesn't get it, he's trying, that's his goal right here, is get the, the, the firing up the base for the November elections.
0: Do you uh, think, well, what, okay, but let's play this out. Let's say, I mean, he's firing up the base, he's talking tough, he's saying, all right, right, I'm." I, you know, we, I, I'm willing to shut down the government. Well, all right, a couple of weeks now pass. He's not going to be able to get the funding for the wall because a lot of Republicans don't want to go along with that. Does he actually shut down the government?
2: That's going to be a good. That's going to be a good question. Yeah. I think I almost think he might. Though you know, Donald Trump, he might just go go to shut it down. Even if he doesn't shut it down. Either way, it's just he's just trying anyway to fire up this. Visa. That's one thing he kind of lost is the the, the mm-hmm. wall. I mean, one point billion, you know, doesn't. Count. I don't think he should build. You know, the coast to coast wall right. over there, but you know, at least a stronger security. And these people are just coming over here like flies.
0: Well, well thanks. So. Well, I mean, I, I think. I mean, obviously, I think you're right, and the president, the president has decided that immigration is a winning issue for him. And it's a winning issue for Republicans in the House, and I guess I, he appears to be serious about wanting to have that funding for the the wall. I understand all that. I guess I still think though it's it's fine to to try to gin up support from your base and get them enthusiastic it's another thing to take us to the brink of a government shutdown where clearly it's going to be the president and it's going to be the republicans in the house who who are going to and in the senate who are going to be saddled with the blame for this if it goes on for week after week let's talk to john and watoma hi john you're on wtmj
3: hello
2: jeff what do you think well i think i couldn't disagree with you more i think it's about time that Somebody takes a stand and to shut the government down if that's what needs need to be. Things have to get done. Congress keeps kicking the can down the road, and they're going to keep it up, keep it up, and keep it up. He said it the last time. He's not going to sign another one of these bills. And I guess we've got to say, at least for one thing, he's a man of his word. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, let's play. That's a politician that actually does what he says, that's kind of a rarity. Okay, so let's all right. play this out with me, John. All right, You. you know, September 30th rolls around. The the House and the Senate have passed continuing resolutions to keep you know the, the, the government operating. President Trump says it doesn't have the money I want for the wall. I'm vetoing this. Boom. I, I'm not going to sign it. And then then the government shuts down. And then people's Social Security checks get delayed and federal workers aren't processing things. And it's a story day after day in in the media, because no Democrats will vote for this. Isn't that just risking electoral disaster for the Republicans who are running for election in six weeks?
2: Yeah, you take a calculated risk, but maybe you'll just find out that the government just isn't that essential. That's the big thing. The government isn't that essential. These people aren't that essential. Maybe we realize we can do a lot away and do without a lot of these government people. Maybe that's what the thing that they're all afraid of.
0: Well, I mean, thank, I, yep. I, I, and, no, and I, and I appreciate what you're saying, John. But, but here's, I, I have been, I, I, I'm, I'm old enough <laughs> to have been through the, these various government shutdowns before, going back to to the Clinton years, and and it seems to me that the Republicans always come out on the short end of this. You know, they always get blamed for this. I mean I mean, look, the Democrats were considering doing a shutdown a while back they they backed off on it because I thought they I think they figured hey this this is going to be it's going to be political suicide. I understand that there's this push and I understand there's all sorts of people who are uh, I, I want to say absolutists I don't say that in a bad sort of way here we've got to get people's attention. if you're asking me, is As the federal government bloated i I'm not going to certainly argue that, but I've seen the way this plays out time after time after time and the party that is responsible for coming out for for shutting down the government always loses just always loses and i guess i'm just trying to be pragmatic about this do i think we've got to figure out what we're going to do with immigration absolutely the fact that you know we've we've allowed our our whole our immigration laws to sit in limbo for a long time now, not just the last year and a half, but the last 10 years or the last 15 years, I, I think is appalling. At some point in time, I, I think you got to move forward on on this stuff. I don't disagree with it. I'm just saying using a government shutdown as the wedge to try to force this issue, I think, is bad politics in the short term. And Republicans have enough issues and enough baggage that Picking this particular fight with the president or vice versa, to me, it's a tough one. It's just a flat-out tough one, and it ends up being a loser. I am hoping that this is going to be one where the president is, like our first caller was saying, maybe he's trying to just, again, motivate his base of supporters with the understanding that we're going to be able to declare victory, go on, and not shut down the government. Because candidly, I, just, I think it's going to be, if you do that, it's the Republicans in the House and the Republicans in the Senate and the Republicans running for Senate who end up losing. And that would be too bad. It's 157. Hey, in the next hour of the program, we've got some interesting stuff and some fun stuff. Someone, something is turning 50. I'm going to share that story with you and uh, we're going to decide if whether or not this particular thing is going to be able to make it another 50 years. That and a lot more is all coming up. So stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 157. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So who is producing the show? I can't ask Melissa this because we were in a meeting together and I shared the answer with her this morning. But you were not in that meeting, so all right. Do you know what turns fifty? You know what turns fifty this week? You have absolutely no idea. All right, let me give you a hint: two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a Sesame Street seat bun. You're still drawing a blank? Oh, you're. You mean you mean to tell me? You mean to tell me that I say two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun, and you're still drawing a blank on what I am talking about? Your response to me is, it's the McDonald's burger. You can't think of the name. He can't think of the name. (sighs) Okay. It is the, they call these a Big Mac. I won't. I, yeah, my producer says that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Of course, you you had tens of thousands of people just screaming Big Mac, right? That all right now the history. All right, now I have to admit that one's thrown me off my game a little bit. Yes, it, it is the the Big Mac fifty. Here here's one of the interesting little sidelights of, of McDonald's, and I have a, I have a, a friend who owns a whole bunch of McDonald's, and um, it, it, it it isn't a lot of the ideas. For products and things that McDonald's do come from the franchisees. You know, they're, they're the ones that'll suggest, you know, let me try this out. And and actually Big Mac 50 years ago. And what happened is it was developed by a guy who owned a McDonald's franchise in, in Pittsburgh. And he said, look, I was, I was, and actually what he, he said was he said, I kind of ripped off the big boy. Hamburger? Do you do you remember those? Grew the big boy burger? I used to, right. Okay, yes. The right. He, he he said he freely admitted he kind of ripped off the the big boy thing. I used to love. Ah, there used to be a Mark's Big Boy on Port Washington Road when I was growing up in Glendale. I used to love stopping off for those big boy sandwiches, especially after being out late. Nothing nothing like a big boy. Nothing like a big boy at one o'clock in the morning. In any event, so the guy in Pittsburgh says, "I, I admit I kind of ripped off the the, the whole idea." But, um, he said, and I pitched it to McDonald's corporate, and they agreed to let me try selling the Big Mac at a single location on the condition that the company's standard hamburger bun be used. So they tried it, it didn't work. So the guy said, Well, let me, let me use a bigger sesame seed bun. And then all of a sudden, the burger sales at the place at the McDonald's went up twelve percent, and then the, the Big Mac became a legend. That's interestingly at McDonald's, the, it's it's franchisees. So back in then it was nineteen sixty eight that the Big Mac you know went nationwide. Um, ideas from franchisees include the, the fillet of fish, the egg McMuffin, and the apple pie, and the Shamrock Shake. So it's kind of interesting. McDonald's you know, listens to like the franchise owners who say, we, we think we, we should try this and we think it would end up, you know, working. But, you know, McDonald's has gone through a lot of iterations and a lot of changes. But the the Big Mac has, even though my producer can't remember what it's called, the Big Mac has survived for 50 years. And it, it's one of the things that they just don't mess with. You know, you, you know, Big Macs are, are Big Macs and they don't, you know, they, they don't, get them changed. You don't say, hey, I want a Big Mac without the special sauce. No, I mean, they they sell the Big Macs as is. And it's been a, a continually selling thing. Now, what's interesting about this, and I'm looking at a story, restaurant chains have to always adapt. And, and you look at it and there's. Um, some of the newer chains like Five Guys and Shake Shack and some of these other places, even White Castle, they're starting to modernize. They're starting to offer other alternatives. McDonald's, though, I mean, the Big Mac is one of the things on that menu that just does not change a- at all. I mean, the Big Mac is the Big Mac is the Big Mac. Okay, just just one segment our number 414-799-1620 that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line now i was discussing this with some of my colleagues earlier today and one of them turned to me and said i just don't remember the last time i had a big mac to which i said well i had one last week i mean it, I, and it just it it just it kind of tastes the same it tastes the same as it's always been and, and candidly i i i like it it's been around for 50 years is this Is this timeless? Are these the type of things? Now, again, some people, it falls out of fad. It falls out of favor. Big Mac has been around for 50 years. Is this going, and it's like, let's face it, it's not health food. There's no question about it. Is this the type of product that is going to survive another 50 years in its present iteration, or... I don't know, is there going to be too much pressure for change? Are people going to get tired of it? Are tastes going to be different on this? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. just one segment, but the Big Mac turns 50, and I'd like to discuss with you, all right, is it still as popular as ever? Do you still love it? Have you had one recently? There's the guy, what, in somewhere in Wisconsin who's eaten 50,000 of these things? Now, that might be a bit excessive, but... Is it still a product that gets you excited? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 1620 we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Happy birthday to the Big Mac. 217, Jeff Wagner, with WTMJ. It's one of those moments in live radio. My producer, unable to identify the product that's two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Yes, it is the Big Mac. Number of people, I, a lot of people, just saying, gotta get a new producer. No, no, no. I just they're breaking bad on you, but I. That's okay. I'm, I'm still with you. I'm just encouraging your education here. Big Mac turns fifty. It is one of. It's been a staple on the McDonald's menu. It's not exactly health food. It is. Restaurants have to change, even restaurant chains. They have to change. They have to adapt. There's something about Big Macs, though, that have kind of caught on in the national consciousness. Will they continue to be around? Cindy in Theensville. Cindy, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
6: Hi. Hi. I just wanted to comment, um, you know, the Big Mac's been around forever, like you said. And I know it's popular with so many people, even though it's not a healthy choice. (laughs) I'm in my early 60s. Back in the day, um, my mom would take us, there were five of us kids in our family. We would go to the dentist. Our treat after was we got to stop for lunch at McDonald's and pick whatever we wanted to have. Of course, we had the Big Mac. We had the Apple turnover. Right, um, Things that haven't changed, like you said, in 50 years. And for me now, I know there's healthier choices by far. And we all know how bad the Big Mac is for you but when i choose if i do choose to have one and i do from time to time um i do it because it reminds me it takes yeah. me back to that time you it, know it's uh it's melancholy it well it's, it's
0: nostalgic stuff. yeah i you know i don't a lot of times because it's a lot of times if I go through a McDonald's or, or any of like the burger doodles, it's something I'm going to eat in the car on the way somewhere. And the Big Mac, you really can't eat while you're driving, <laughs> you know, at least unless you want it all over your clothes and all over your car. So the times, like when I got one a week or two ago, I was going home with it. I was going to sit at the table and eat it. So it, it had that appeal. But you're right. I think there is this huge power of nostalgia to it. It takes you back to, you know, another time. And and if you're of a certain age, we all remember that ad, you know, 2 beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun.
6: Very true, yeah. So yeah. I do it for, I think about my mom and those moments, so it's right. kind
0: of neat. You know, it is. Thanks for calling. And it is, I mean, it was interesting when I started researching this topic that the guy who developed it did fully admit that it was a rip-off of the big boy, you know, the big boy hamburgers that had the Thousand Island dressing. I I miss those. I, I, I miss those, and I understand there's some places you can get some similar things, but I just, I just, I used to love those when I was growing up. Michael on the North Side. Michael, you're in WTMJ. Hello. How are you doing? Good. What do you think?
3: You know what? Here's what it reminds me of. In college, they had a thing in 1973, and all you had to do is you had so many seconds to say it. <laughs> all be patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese on a sesame seed bun.
0: Pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Yeah.
3: Right. So what? Yeah. So every day we would go and get us a free. <laughs> A free one in, in college, in Whitewater. I went to school in Whitewater. Uh-huh. But then the other thing is that I was listening to you say that somebody else invented that, right? Right. From from uh, a franchisee.
0: Right. It was a franchisee in Pittsburgh who came up with the idea and then sold McDonald's on, on letting them do it at the McDonald's places. Yeah.
3: Right. Now, I am a I am a stockholder in McDonald's, but here's the other thing. So did the apple pie. Right. New research. So did the fish fillet. Yep. That yep. came from somebody else, too. So yep. so what I'm saying, it, it, and I think it's going to be a staple for a while. You know, you'll get some people that do something, some, some some companies that do stuff, and it will go away, and they'll come back. But that just has a name. And just like me, you know, Mark big boy, and, <laughs> you know, you find me in the same area I am. You know what I mean? That was a, a Ben Marcus thing. Right. They had them. Nino right. <laughs>
0: oh, <God. laughs> so. No, I, I know, Michael. Thanks. No, I, I know. It's all those, all those great places. I, I miss Big Boy. I miss Big Boy to this day. But, but yeah, it is. I, and I guess I, I was starting, like I say, I, I know. A friend of mine runs owns all these different McDonald's, and it it is they they take input from their their franchisees, and franchisees say hey let's try this or we've got this idea, and and they generally they'll go with it and they see if it works, and then if it works they they roll it out. But yeah, I mean the, the big back, and you're right, filet of fish, uh, the apple pie that they used to deep fry now I haven't had an, I haven't had a McDonald's apple pie in ages, but now it's it's kind of baked and things like that. Let's talk to Carl and Kenosha. Carl, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hello, thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, first of all, it's made up for 50 years now. It, if it didn't crash and burn by now, it would <laughs> crash and burn. The only way the Big Mac will be off the menu is they take it off. Right. Honestly. You
0: know, I mean, But people are still going to buy it. I think there's always going to be a market for it.
3: Oh, right, right. And here's a little tip for you, too. The best way of eating a Big Mac is to go inside and eat it. That way it's a lot fresher and it's made correctly. I have diverticulosis, so I can't have sesame seeds. Okay. And then I usually get it without pickles and uh, uh, lettuce. They're let lettuce, and so somehow they cannot get that right. I just, I, that's why I go in, because when you go home, like Joe Pesci said, you go up to your drive through you get whatever. You know right.
0: what I mean? No, I, I, think, yeah. well, I just can't. I mean, thanks for call car, and I can't. And again, it, it's not it, – It okay, you can you can order a hamburger. You can order a cheeseburger. You can order a double cheeseburger, a quarter pounder with cheese or whatever. And, you know, you, you can – if you're careful, you can eat those in the car without slopping all over yourself. I, I'm sorry, I'm just not good enough – to drive and eat a Big Mac without getting it all over myself and all over the car. In any event, that's your trivia for today. You want to impress your friends and your family tonight at dinner. Say, hey, Big Mac, it's 50 years old this year, invented by a guy who owned a McDonald's in uh, Pittsburgh, and they kind of fought him on it before realizing what a success they had. Yeah, and it is the guy in Fond du Lac who eats one a day. I am not encouraging you to do that. One Every once in a while, I don't think that's going to be a problem. It's 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. President Trump loves tweet. And his latest target is special counsel Robert Mueller. Steve Scafidi asks, is that a good strategy for the president? Steve shares his thoughts. Tune in, 9.35 a.m. tomorrow. All right, one of the, the big national stories is Paul Manafort is going on trial today. He's going to be tried, being tried in, in U.S. District Court in Virginia. He's being tried on, on charges that it's essentially tax evasion. Now, who is Paul Manafort? Cause I, I think we need to back up. He was, Donald Trump, President Trump's campaign chairman for several months, he took part in the infamous meeting at Trump Tower that brought Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner, the son-in-law, together with the Russian attorney who had promised incriminating information about Hillary Clinton. Okay, that, that's, that's his connection to that. But this trial has nothing to do with Russian collusion, or meddling in the elections or anything else. Manafort, it's essentially it's a bank fraud and a tax evasion trial. Manafort in Virginia, he's accused of failing to pay taxes on millions of dollars he made doing work for a pro-Russian political party in the Ukraine between 2006 and 2015. So it's a tax evasion case. They allege that um, he had... Instead of taking the money that he earned, this is the allegation, and paying taxes on it, he had the money wired to foreign shell corporations and then sent to him as loans. So he's avoiding taxable liability. He apparently is accused of lying about having offshore bank accounts, according to prosecutors, um, but he nevertheless was using those bank accounts to buy expensive properties, fancy clothing, and, and antique rugs. He's also... Accused of lying to banks about his income, bank fraud, and his debt in order to get millions more in loans after this Ukrainian party lost power in 2014. So, you know, he was getting a bunch of money when all that went south. They accused him of, again, making false statements to banks to get loans when what he was really doing is he was using one loan to pay off another loan and things like that. Typically, in these types of cases, it's it's a paper trail type of case, and the numbers are what the numbers are. Manafort was apparently on the federal authorities' radar for a long time, which does make you wonder why, in the universe of people, that if you're running for president, you could choose to be your campaign chairperson. Why? Why President Trump and Donald Trump reached out to to get Manafort in? Because, in all honesty. I see. I don't, I don't think people are going to view this one way or the other. If, if he somehow beats these charges, and it seems to me it's probably tough to beat these charges, people are going to view that as a huge blow to the Mueller investigation. Similarly, if, if he gets convicted, people are going to say, Oh, this is the first one of the dominoes starting to fall or the second or third. You know, Trump is in a lot of trouble. I honestly don't see this as being either way. Um, Paul Manafort was a guy who was on the radar of authorities for a long time. He seems like a shady operator when it comes to reporting stuff. And again, in these type of cases, it's it's a paper trail. There's either you either earned money that you pay taxes on or you didn't. You either earned money that you sent to bank accounts or you didn't. I mean, it's just, it's one way or the other. It's not one of these things where you say, Oh, gee, I had no idea that I had that $10 million and I put it in the bank account. Imagine my surprise. It's, it's in some respects, sometimes these paper cases can be complicated, but at the same time, there, there's a paper trail one way or the other. I obviously don't know if he's going to be convicted or not based on my experience when you hear charges like this. It sounds like he doesn't need a good lawyer. It sounds like he needs a good judge or a good jury because typically when the government brings these kind of cases, they they have the goods. Does that mean anything big picture for President Trump? I don't see the connection other than. After he was engaged in a lot of this behavior, he landed, you know, in the Trump orbit for a little while. So I, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that read a lot into either an acquittal or conviction. My advice would be, no, I think this trial kind of stands on its own. And matter of fact, prosecutors are already saying they don't think the word Russia is going to even get mentioned in the trial. I think Paul Manafort, my sense is, is he's in a lot of trouble. Does that mean that Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble? Well, I, I don't see that necessarily either. 2.35, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Another late night in Los Angeles as Travis Shaw and the rest of the crew battle it out with the Dodgers. Jeff and Lane have the call. Our Brewers game day coverage starts tonight at 8.35. By the way, the the non-waiver trading deadline, what that means is 3 o'clock today, less than 25 minutes. The the trading deadline is... The unlimited trading line deadline ends. After that, trades can be made. But what happens is you have to put a player on waivers, giving all the teams a chance to file a claim for them. Um, so it makes it much more difficult to orchestrate claims because you have to expose the players to waivers. Uh, but another half hour, for that half hour, there's no waivers. You don't have to fool around with anything like that. A lot of speculation as to whether the brewers are going to do something or not. I candidly hope they don't jump into anything. I don't think, I hope they don't panic. I don't, I hope they don't overpay for someone by giving up some of the significant prospects. So far, I think they, they've gotten some great deals on the in the trade market. And even if they don't do anything else, I think the team is well-positioned for a playoff run. I'm not sure that there's really a game-changing, say, pitcher that's out there, and if it really involves mortgaging your future. And I'm talking about one of the top couple prospects because they've got some really good prospects, including some that are on the major league roster now. I would encourage them not to do it, but we'll have an answer in the next twenty-five minutes or so. So stick around for that, and also tune into the game. Brewers have kind of righted the ship. I understand there were a lot of people jumping off the bandwagon after they limped into the All-Star break, including losing five in a row at uh, at Pittsburgh. But you know they've they've kind of turned it around a little bit. Uh, good solid road trip. They're four out of five playing good baseball. So you know who knows who knows. All right. The, the Century City Business Park. It's actually not that far from where I am now, maybe three or four miles. It's this is the area. If you're familiar with the Milwaukee area, it's the old um, A.O. Smith headquarters that later became Tower Automotive, and it, it's near the Sherman Park. It's kind of in the Sherman Park area. It's um, about 150 acres. It has been sitting vacant for forever. And what happened was, in an effort to try to revitalize that part of, of the city, what we had is the city decided, okay, we're going to try to develop this. And we're going to go with, we're going to call it the Century City One. And so what happened is, there was at the cost of several million dollars, they put up a building there. They haven't been able to get any tenants in there for effectively a couple years. The announcement was made this week that finally, after a couple years, the first tenant was going to be able to move in, and that was going to be a Good City Brewing. Now, Good City Brewing, they've got their their brew pub, which is on the east side, They've got one other location. Now, apparently, they're going to move their headquarters here. And, And here's, I mean, here's the deal. This was reported and everybody was saying, Oh, this is great. We're moving into this Century City business park. Well, Journal Sentinel, um, Tom Dakin has a story saying, Well, okay. Yes, they are, they are moving into the business park, but, but here's the deal. The city of Milwaukee, in order to get them into the business park, is taking a loss. Best case scenario of probably four hundred thousand um, dollars, and it goes through the development firm that that financed the building. Got a three point five million dollar loan from the Milwaukee Economic Development Corporation. Then there was another four hundred thousand um, dollars that was it was put in by you know another company a, as well, and the purchase price well. What it is is good. City is going to assume some of the outstanding debt, but the bottom line is the city loses about four hundred thousand dollars, best case scenario. And it could be worse if the, the deal, if it goes through and then it ultimately proves unsuccessful. It it could be it could be worse. But it right now they're selling it for what appears to be a loss of about four hundred thousand dollars. Mayor Barrett, to his credit, has been aggressive about trying to get development into this area. Those efforts, this deal notwithstanding, have largely failed, despite the fact that you have other areas of both Milwaukee County, like Oak Creek, and even the city of Milwaukee, you know, the the, the area around Pottawatomie, the Menominee Valley, that we've done a good job of bringing development into. This, this area outside of Sherman Park, the Century City area, is arguably you know, one of the areas where you need economic development the most because you've got a lot of unemployment issues and things like that. So you'd love to find it, but they tried to get Amazon there. Amazon isn't coming there, and the mayor is saying this needs to be a priority, but the problem is it's it's difficult to get to. You know, there's the freeway. It's, it's probably about a mile and a half to two miles off the freeway on Capitol Drive so a place, like I say, a place like Amazon, well, you know, they need easy access. They, they need to be able to get on the freeway. They need to be close to that type of stuff. You know, driving down Capital Drive, for goodness sakes, you know, for two miles to get to the freeway, that's kind of a non-starter. So let's tee this up. One segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit I have been skeptical about this whole Century City thing from the get-go. Because of a wide variety of reasons, it just didn't seem to me to be a good investment of money. They've now sold the first building, so you've got the first tenant, but of course we're selling that at a substantial loss. The good side, if you want to be a glass is half full guy, the argument would be, well, okay, this is super. Now that you have the first tenant in there, it's going to expire. All sorts of other economic development people are going to start flocking to it. That would be the glass is half full. The glass is half empty approach is this is a landlocked location in an economically depressed area that has all sorts of problems with crime, and no major businesses are going to locate there. So what's it going to be? Is this the turnaround for Century City? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Chuck in Milwaukee. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi,
2: Jeff. Well, you stole my thunder. Okay, <laughs> It's a high-crime area, but it's sitting vacant. What does the city have to lose? They're already taking a loss. Maybe it'll spark something.
0: How likely do you think that is?
2: I think it's pretty likely simply because there's not any more land in the city. All of these areas are potentially prime. Again, what does the city have to lose by trying if they don't try anything, it just sits there vacant anyway. this way, you know, um, Columbus took a chance and he discovered Puerto Rico. Why
0: do you think it's that, why do you think it's sat vacant for two years?
2: Well, th- the problem is, uh, once you get started on this, how do you know that the environmentalists are going to say, "Oh, this is a brown soil deal. It's all the other. Yeah, it's Tower
0: is, Automotive and A.O. Smith, who knows what's going on there, Sure, right?
2: Yeah, the other problem is it's in the center of a high crime area mm-hmm. are the residents around. there are going to say, look, it's in our interest have economic development. So maybe we should uh, kind of take it easy and maybe we should start looking at what we're doing so we can attract supermarkets, banks, stores, industry, condominiums. Look at what's going on in Wauwatosa, Shorewood, mm-hmm. Whitefish Bay, Oak Creek. They're building condos and offices and yep. shops and every darn thing in the world. Why couldn't it happen in this area?
0: Well, I mean, thanks to the call, That's, I mean, that's the issue, and the question would be, why is it now? Keep in mind, you know, there is. I mean, I don't know that I'd say it's a zero sum game, but for years and years and years and years and years, the parkie sat vacant. I mean, it was a moonscape. Well, now you're finally, I think, you know, in large part, I think due to the Bucks Arena, you're now starting to see some development there. You've got the development going on in the Menominee Valley. You, I think the the problems. And I mean, I I made this argument at the time. I think this was always an example of maybe hopes outweighing reality. In part, first of all, it's a difficult site to get to. Like we are saying a couple minutes ago, it, it, it doesn't have the access to roadways and freeways that a lot of these businesses are going to want. I mean, it's Amazon's not going to locate there because you've got a two-mile drive on Capitol Drive to try to get to the freeway. It's a non-starter for a place like Amazon. You have the other issues that are there as well. I hope it works out for Good City. I, I hope it works out for Good City. And I guess the question's going to be three years from now, five years from now, Is this going to be the start of some renaissance that leads to exactly what you're talking about, Chuck? Now we're going to have retail. Now we're going to have commercial. Now we're going to have some of these, uh, you know, we're going to have houses that are developed and condos and that sort of stuff, residential. Is that going to be the case, or is this going to end up being a gigantic white elephant? Now, I am not rooting against it. I, I do think, though, that this, from a business decision perspective, was based as much on politics as it was based on really something that has a, a likelihood to succeed now admittedly i was a naysayer on the park east and i was right for a long time finally they're starting to turn that around but they're turning it around uh, again with uh, an inflow in part of uh, you know 250 million dollars in taxpayer money the bucks aren't going to be building an arena you know at the old tower automotive site so you, you don't have that option to go to I hope it turns out, but color me a little bit skeptical. And now that the reports are that Good City is actually getting it at a, at a substantial what's a loss to the taxpayers, makes me kind of question what the future of that development is going to be. It's 246. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, now I've done it, I, I I've irritated at least one listener. Tell Mr. Wagner, big boys. Does not have Thousand Island dressing on big boys. It is tartar sauce. All right, so there you go. See? I always thought it was kind of like Thousand Island dressing, but it's tartar sauce. And, well, it, Bruce says tartar sauce on a burger. Yeah, I mean, apparently it's, it's, that, that's, I, I, I looked it up. I, I was then questioning about this, and they have like copycat recipes. And apparently it's, it's tartar sauce with a bunch of other stuff put into it um, to make it kind of look like Thousand Island dressing, but it's actually, It's tartar sauce. Go figure. McDonald's uses a variation of Thousand Island dressing, but it's big boys that has tartar sauce. So you listen to this show, you learn something new every day. A quick reminder, tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., State Fair Park, the parking lot that runs parallel to I-94, right in front of the Pettit Ice Center, I am going to be there. Karen D'Alessandro is going to be there. First 300 cars, either Karen or I, We'll give you a free six-pack of cream puffs. Again, while the supplies last, this is Cream puff of palooza We've done it for several years. I love doing it. Now, at 4 o'clock in the morning, when the alarm goes off, I might not say the same thing. But once I get out there, it will be a lot of fun. All right. We've been on uh, trade alert. The trade deadline's coming up in just a couple minutes. Greg Matsik happens to be sitting in the studio. Any word? Brewers going to make another move?
7: Yeah, it's getting interesting here, Jeff. Uh, it, you're under fire at this point with just minutes to go. So we did hear some rumblings that the Brewers were interested in a variety of different starting pitchers. Uh The one that you may have heard most of, Chris Archer from Tampa right. Bay, he appears headed to the Pittsburgh Pirates for three players. But consider this, two of the three players involved in the deal, a pitcher and an outfielder, were the Pirates' number one and number two prospects in 2016 and are on the Pirates' roster today that are involved in this deal. The third player is uh, yet to be determined from what we can understand.
0: So that's a hefty load for well, and Chris also Archer. I mean, the Pirates, I guess they've got an outside. The Pirates aren't going to win the Central Division. They're not going to overhaul the Cubs and the Brewers, you wouldn't think, at this point in time. You give up that much to maybe have an outside shot at being one of the two wildcard teams?
7: It, it's possible. Now, they did win 11 in a row recently. Right. They've got a game against the Cubs later tonight and one tomorrow. So... Uh, yeah they sold Garrett Cole in the off season and now they've made a move to buy here uh at the trade deadline. Another starter, Kevin Gaussman from the Orioles that he appears headed to the Atlanta Braves right so that's another starter that uh, the Brewers were reportedly interested in. There's another name out there, and Matt Harvey who's currently with the Reds. If a deal isn't done, you always have this 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 non waiver portion of the trade deadline. It expires today at three after that, players can still be acquired. But they're subject to waivers where right. they could get picked up by any team with a better record than the Brewers first. Right. Now you have a month to acquire a player between uh well, I today at three oh one and until the end of August. If you acquire a player in the next month, they are eligible for postseason play. If not, you've got no luck having them on the postseason roster. So Trade deadline at 3 o'clock today, but the Brewers could still acquire talent beyond
0: today. At the same time, though, I mean, for example, when they made the C.C. Sabathia trade 10 years ago, they, they did it early on. They did it well in advance of the trade deadline, and the deal was we want to get this guy on and producing. At some point in time, bringing somebody on, let's say even a starting pitcher, where you're only going to be able to get five or six or seven starts or whatever it is, it it, it diminishes the value. And and is there – there's not a C.C. Sabathia. There's not a Zach Greinke on, on the – on the market right now is there no the, the starting pitching market was
7: somewhat eaten up in the offseason during the free agent period and really those guys are more names than they are anything else jake Harriet is having a, a pretty good season like for a good show, but
0: you know he's he's been awful that, that's been
7: a mess and alex cobb has been worse but in gaussman and archer the two guys i mentioned what david stearns i'm sure really liked about both players is that they're under team control for right. two more years so that's a way that a GM can look at the present while also looking ahead and not ignoring the future. Having key, uh, team control, I think, is is key for any GM looking to buy, but also understanding that you've got to build and uh, not totally deplete your system. So that's why I think David Stearns eyeballed these two players. You know, Harvey was a guy who was with the Mets, and then he was let go by the Mets. He was picked up by the Reds. He's been kind of okay. Just okay. Right. Yeah, I he's think not a game changer. Uh, no, yeah. he's a little more name brand than he is needle right. mover. You know what I mean? And it's not to say he couldn't help. He's got postseason experience.
0: Uh, but if somebody's I, asking for one of their top-line players, like pitchers like Peralta and Burns, who are on the major league roster now, who they clearly view as part of the future, that's a pretty dear price to pay for somebody who – doesn't necessarily, in your words, move the needle. I think they'd
7: be more willing to move Peralta than Burns. I I feel like uh, if they were to acquire a starter, he may replace Peralta in the starting rotation, while Peralta's still got opportunities to go to the minor leagues. Corbin Burns, I think, helps this team today in the bullpen and and gets you out of a pinch if you need a longer relief sort of situation. They do not want to move him, and they do not want to move Keston Hira. The issues they've had at second base are pretty well documented, and, and the future, I think, is Hira. I'd be surprised to see him move in the next couple of years. He might be with the team next year. So those guys are being protected, and maybe it's why the Brewers lost out on a guy like Chris
0: Archer. The hmm. Pirates gave up some pretty good talent. I mean, well, sometimes the they're not even
7: tra- prospects. They're
0: existing <laughs> talent. Right, right. And, and I know it's a cliche, but sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't make. That's right. true. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Greg Matzik continues to monitor the, the trade movement. the The non-waiver trade deadline comes up in less than five minutes. Stick around.